Hello and welcome to the Emerging Litigation Podcast. I'm Tom Hagee with HB Litigation Conferences. This is always a collaboration because I'm collaborative with Law Street Media and Fastcase, the legal research platform. Today we're going to talk about bricks and mortar and steel and how even these things decay over time. And when they do, people get hurt or worse. Uh, You've seen reports about our nation's bridges being in disrepair. The same thing is being said about school buildings. More than half, apparently, need some serious work. And many cities are experiencing an increase in what are being called zombie buildings, abandoned and decaying structures just waiting to fall down. But nothing illustrates the dire consequences of building decay more than this summer's tragedy at the Champlain Towers South in Surfside, Florida which killed 97 people. It also raises questions about the the building inspection process, who is responsible, how many other buildings might be in serious disrepair. Compensation for injury, loss of life, and property damage can be astronomical, yet still inadequate. In that case, uh, according to the Associated Press, a Florida judge approved the sale of the Surfside property, which uh, proceeds are intended to benefit victims of of the disaster, it was uh, Miami-Dade Circuit Judge Michael Hensman who ordered the sale, which could get more than $100 million, according to the court records. The judge's ruling came as part of a series of lawsuits filed in the wake of the June 24 collapse. According to the report, there were several warnings of major structural damage at the building, which was just 40 years old. The New York Times reported on July 1st that infighting and poor planning left the condo site in disrepair. The article reads, under pressure to keep costs down, many condo boards around the country have little money set aside for big repairs, like the ones needed at Surfside. For years before the collapse, the condo board there wrestled with how to come up with $15 million needed to fix the building's, quote, dilapidated roof, a poorly designed pool deck, and crumbling support columns, end quote. The problem, according to the Times, was that the Homeowners Association only had 800000 in reserves. So getting the work done meant asking the residents to pay huge assessments, ranging from 80000 to 200000 on each home. No one was eager to pay, according to the Times. How might this impact inspections around the country? There was a Baltimore County office that was shuttered due to, quote, possible structural integrity issues, end quote. The Baltimore Sun reported on July 14th, the building houses a restaurant in addition to a number of law offices and companies. Baltimore County's chief building inspector, Matthew Gowell, said these kind of uh, evacuations are, quote, few and far between, the Baltimore Sun reported, and occur only when inspectors find major issues with the structure. In the wake of disasters, officials like Gowell are urging residents to report problems they discover in large buildings, like new cracks that appear on walls or caving entryways. Often, the Sun uh, quoted Agala saying reports from constituents are merely cosmetic issues, but it's better to be safe than sorry. Stricter codes are likely a certainty. In fact, the codes in Florida, according to the uh, ABC News affiliate in Tampa Bay, uh, those codes came after a, uh, after a building collapse quite a long time ago. Uh, the law is in Section 553.71 of Florida Statutes. And says that uh, a threshold building, which is defined as a building greater than three stories or 50 feet in height, or a building that exceeds 5,000 square feet and has an occupancy 
of more than 500 people. Any building that is a threshold building, ABC News reported, must have an inspector inspect the structural elements during construction to make sure everything is up to code. This was passed 40 years ago after another building collapse, that one in 1981, where a building under construction in Cocoa Beach, Florida, collapses. Workers were pouring concrete for the roof to complete the framework. Electricians, plumbers, and bricklayers were on the floors below when the building collapsed. 11 were killed, 23 were injured. That's about all I know about this uh, matter. Fortunately, we have someone here who is infinitely more qualified to discuss the immediate and long-term ramifications of the Surfside collapse. He is Judah Lifshitz, a founder of Shapiro, Lifshitz, and Shram. I like his bio where he says that, quote, lawyers are perfectionists. Well, these are great lawyers. Okay, let's separate them from just, you know, your average lawyers. Great lawyers are perfectionists possess intense devotion to their clients, and are passionate about their work. Judah has extensive experience in construction matters, including power and energy construction, representing clients in, in EPC contracts and disputes. He represents governmental and private owners, regional, national, and international contractors, construction managers, subcontractors, design professionals, sureties, and insurance, insurance companies in disputes, trials, ADR proceedings, and negotiations. He won one of the largest liquidated damage awards in the history of the construction industry. He's tried cases all over the country. He has a JD from George Washington University. Go Colonials. Did anybody know that they were called the Colonials? You do now. And he has a uh, BA, graduated with honors, from Yeshiva University. Go Maccabees. So with that, I am going to turn it over to myself. <laughs> with that, let's get started with my uh, my interview with Judah Lifshitz of Shapiro, Lifshitz, and Shram. I hope you enjoy it. Judah Lifshitz, thank you very much for spending time with me today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Well, we want to jump right into the to the questions. Uh, in the first one, the, the tragedy of the, the Surfside condo collapse and the extensive coverage about that reverberated throughout the nation. And we all, we hope it doesn't speak to the condition of other buildings like it, but what I wanted to ask you was, has, the, has that tragedy had an impact on the building industry and how they build and manage and, and maintain their structures? So I would say that, that this tragedy, and it's sort of an ongoing tragedy, has had a huge immediate impact and will have a very significant, very substantial impact in the years to come. The most immediate impact if we start geographically, is literally right in the surf side with respect to this site, the sites that are next to it. And as you go up and down the Atlantic Ocean on the Florida coast and elsewhere, similar kinds of communities, condo buildings, multifamily buildings are immediately retaining high quality engineers to do more serious inspection of their buildings to determine the structural stability of the building, the health of the building, et cetera. So that's the immediate impact. The longer term impact involves inspection of buildings and the quality of inspection of buildings. It will, I'm sure, have an impact on government regulation, legislation, 
that goes into not only inspection of existing buildings, but likely construction in beachside communities, quote unquote, Surfside with a small s, Surfside mm-hmm. communities, recreation communities, and so on. What will really be interesting also will be, will it have an impact on liability? So, for example, it's obvious to everybody that in the Surfside situation, where there's roughly about $40 million of insurance um, that the Condo Association has based on reports that I've read, that that nowhere near will compensate for the damage and loss of life, et cetera. And therefore, there are going to be all kinds of lawsuits there are already. And the question is going to be, how are these condos going to be managed in the future? And are you and I going to be interested in buying a condo if we, and or are you and I going to be interested in being on the board of a condo if what we have to worry about are catastrophic situations and the liability that comes from them? So it would not surprise me if we're going to see over time, not right away, changes in condo laws, perhaps legislation with respect to required levels of insurance, perhaps legislation with respect to liability or limits of liability. I think it's a dynamic situation and we'll see as we go. So let's let's uh, talk about some of the individual players. So building owners and condo association boards, what are they thinking about right now? Or what do you think they should I, be thinking about? I think anybody who's on a condo board now is in shock. If they're not in shock, they're in fear. You know, if we think on a very sort of retail or human right experience basis, so you and I go to Florida, we go with our wives, we see this beautiful condo building on the water and we say, gee, honey, wouldn't this be a great place for us to have a vacation place? And at whatever economic level we are, we, we bought, we buy. Are we thinking at that time that we may have some huge expense coming down the road? We're not. We're thinking about how we're going to enjoy using this vacation home. And if I get on the condo board, am I thinking about anything other than making sure the pool hours are what I want them to be, the spaces are clean, et cetera? I am not thinking about the fact that I am responsible, at least in the eyes of the law, for the management of, let's say it's a 15-story building with 100 units in it. I, I am a manager of that building. I have a lot of responsibility and potential liability. So I think anybody who's sitting on a condo board, particularly if we look in the Miami area and other recreational areas on the water, and particularly if we're looking at buildings that are 20, 30 years old, these board members are concerned because they now have to hustle up make sure their building is structurally sound, make sure if it's not that it gets taken care of, quote unquote, immediately. Either way, it's costing everybody money. And I'm sure there are buildings now where they're not structurally sound. And board members are, I'm sure, 
regretting the fact that they're board members. Yeah. Okay. And what about management companies? Same, same thing, or do they have a different? No. So I, again, again, you know, I, I would say if we're looking at the management companies of the surf side, they're in, they're in a terrible situation, right? There's a catastrophe. It almost doesn't make a difference what their contract said or it didn't say, you know, they're going to be in the middle of these lawsuits. Um, if I'm a management company of a condo um, that doesn't have a catastrophe, you know, catastrophic history to it, then sure, I need to be taking a look at number one, what's my contract? What am I responsible for and not responsible for? What's my insurance coverage? Make sure I have adequate insurance coverage. And then three, how am I going about my business? And how good are the people that I have in the building, working in the building? And what can I do to limit my potential liability, if anything? And uh, what about engineering companies? So, you know, I work with engineers all the time. And I think this is true in every profession, right? But I'll say it in the context of engineers. There are engineers, and then there are engineers. Now, the problem is that the average layperson, like you or me, doesn't know the difference between a real engineer and an engineer, right? So the engineering community now, number one, the serious um, building, forensic building engineers, um, are very, very much in demand now. They probably have more business than they can handle because all these other buildings that are sitting out there and now have watched what happened and want to avoid the catastrophe are retaining that. Um, but in a, many of these situations, you know, for example, we take Surfside. So they have this 40-year recertification of the building process. And the problem is that you have engineers that are in that business and they're really not the level of engineer that can walk into a building and hear the building talking to them. So you and I could walk into a building and we could see this concrete is cracked and we could see this slab is cracked and we don't need to be engineers to know that it needs to be fixed. And then you could have the journeyman engineer who walks in who understands that, well, the reason the concrete's cracking is because the rebar is rusting. You and I might not figure that out, or they may see something else. But then there are engineers who are in the business of inspecting structures and listening to the building talk to them. So, for example, I, I happen to know personally, I know Alan Kilsheimer, who's down there. He's one of those engineers, right? He can walk into a structure and take a look at that structure. And it talks to him and it tells him things that you and I would never see and the average engineer wouldn't see. So I think there are engineers out there that are probably concerned with where they are from a potential liability point. And there are buildings and condo associations that should be mindful of who they are hiring as their engineers to inspect the building and make sure that they're hiring people who are of the experience level and the quality level to give them a good result. 
you alluded to this earlier, the real estate industry, the impact on on property values. You know, you mentioned people looking at places to retire. Uh, do you think that's going to have an impact on prices? I mean, let me ask something. Are you interested in going down and paying a million dollars for a penthouse in a 30-year-old building in Miami Beach now? I'm not. You know, it's interesting, right? It's unfortunate, very it's tragic. But there was somebody in the Surfside building who had just purchased a penthouse for something like a million dollars in May. I uh, Obviously, I can't predict. My, my gut feeling is that this will have a, ne- a short-term or more immediate negative impact on the local real estate market in in the Miami Beach, Surfside, you know, the coast area, particularly in older condo buildings. Because as I said before, if you and I go buy a, a condo somewhere, we are not planning on having some huge assessment to fix the building. You know, most people don't realize, they only think they're buying their condo. They don't realize they're buying into a big building. Right. You know, so I think it will have an impact. Uh, I think over time that impact, you know, that's the way you the human being is, right? You know, today we wouldn't spend a lot on it. Tomorrow we'll say it's okay. And, you know, the market will come back. Yeah, sad, sad but true. I would think uh, buyers, I mean, if I were going to do that, you know, I'd want to see the engineer's report, the inspection report, and I'd want to know about the engineer to see if they're, which kind they are. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. And it would um, it would not surprise me if there'll be regulatory or statutory changes in the law that require those kind of disclosures. So I wonder if that's that's happening in, in other states as well with regulations and increased enforcement. Uh, I mean, I, ha- I have to imagine, you know, that other other vacation spots, seaside spots, um, at least in the U.S., have looked at what's happened at this catastrophe and are saying, gee, we're lucky it hasn't happened here. We need to do something about it. And you, may, you mentioned insurance disputes around this. I don't know if um, if you can speak to it or not, but what sort of disputes would you see from this? At, anytime you have this sort of mass mass um, casualty. One has to say where where are the where is the source of funds to compensate the injured, the victims. So in Surfside, there is going to be insurance money. Um, the judge who is handling the cases that have been collected has appointed a receiver for the condo association and wants that property sold. Um, um, that'll be interesting whether whether developers, you know, be interested in buying it at this point. But what's going to happen with the insurance is every defendant who gets sued and plaintiffs will be looking for every theoretical defendant you could find. So the obvious ones are the condo association, uh, unfortunately for them, Morbido Engineering, um, I'm sure there were contractors that worked in the building. There was a management company. I mean, those are all the obvious, right? They, in turn, are going to go to their insurance carriers under multiple policies, whatever creative policies they can have, and they're going to send a notice and they're going to make a claim. And now the fun is going to start because you have all this litigation. The insurance company is going to be funding litigation. 
The insurance companies will be looking at their policies, denying coverage where they think they don't have coverage or where they think they have an argument that they don't have coverage. Um, and, you know, if you take a look like at the World Trade Center, right? So when that tragedy occurred, there was major litigation between the, the owners, uh, Silverstein and so on, uh, of the World Trade Center and their insurance carriers. And there were a lot of interesting issues, right? You know, how many events were there? How many coverages? You know, so that's going to be part of this complexity and, you know, in this litigation. Do you suspect or is it too early to tell whether there'll be in, increased litigation over other buildings that may be considered in disrepair? So, you know, I, what could I say? It's, this this could turn out to be the COVID of, uh, of condo litigation. In other words, I, I suspect. I mean, I know, for example, in Baltimore, based on an article I read in the Baltimore Sun, a building inspector went into a relatively small but multi-story office building, commercial office building, to look at something. I think they thought there was work being done that wasn't permitted, ended up walking out of the building and um, not condemning the building, but shutting the building down because he found it to be structurally, not structurally sound. So you can imagine, just think about the litigation that's going to occur because of that. It just simply every tenant in that building, you know, their build, their business is now shut down. Right. There's a restaurant on the first floor of that building. I have to be familiar with the building. They're out of business. So, yeah, I think there's going to be this Surfside event will unfortunately spawn other litigation uh, relating to other buildings. Right. Isn't there another building right there on Surfside? where the residents were were um, required to evacuate the building. I believe that's right. So there you go. Yeah. Lawsuit number two right there. So so the folks that, uh, that may be on the receiving end of these from the engineers, the owners, the condo boards, uh, what should they be doing right now at, at just typical buildings, tip, other buildings around the country? What should they be doing to uh, mitigate potential risk and mitigate tragedy? Yeah. So, I, I mean, first and foremost, right, what they need to be doing is whatever is need, needs to be done from a um, human safety point of view, right? I mean, we can worry about the lawyers and litigation later. Um, and what that means is those buildings that already know that they have significant repairs that need to be made need to bite the bullet. And get a competent contractor, competent design firm, and make those repairs. Those buildings that don't know whether they need repairs or not need their buildings proctoscoped. And then follow through. Condo boards need to recognize that you cannot close your eyes. You cannot pretend that this is going to go away. You cannot say, if, if Surfside tells condo boards anything. It's that you cannot assume it's going to become somebody else's problem tomorrow because tomorrow might turn out to be your problem today. So they need to do all those, all those things. Same thing with management company. They need to be checking their insurance coverages. Uh, so for example, my understanding from what I've read is that the Surfside condo 
at $30 million, some number like that in property insurance. Yet the fair market value of that site is something like a hundred million. Well, well, you know, why is that? Well, because why do I want to pay insurance for a hundred million if I can pay insurance for 30 million? Right. Right. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Right. Um, And then, you know, I think um, uh, condo boards need to be get educated on what their responsibilities are under the law, how to fulfill those responsibilities, what their liabilities could be, and do they have adequate insurance? Yeah. Unfortunately, not every condo board is managed professionally. And in order to manage it professionally, you have to spend money, right? They have right. to get good advice. It sounds like certainly at a place like this, I'm sure somebody had some money uh, to spend on engineers or somebody uh, inspections. But the uh, it occurs to me too that you don't have to you don't have to be convinced that maybe you're you're going to have such a calamity. There are certainly a lot of less serious things that can happen that can also relate or uh, turn into significant liability for you. I mean, it doesn't have to be the entire building coming down. Right. It could be somebody's injured on a stairwell or something. It doesn't have to be this catastrophic, but absolutely. How about uh, when you're picking back to engineers, if, if a condo association or building owner was picking an engineer, how do you know they're one of the good ones? So you have to, you know, you have to do research, right? You have to research, um, you need to um, not only simply go, you know, Google engineers and find an engineer. You need to do research. Um, that research can be done through the construction industry. It can be done through other buildings, through management companies. You have to interview. You need to get referrals, um, just like you would if you're going to go get a doctor for yourself. You know, you you're not necessarily just going to urgent care, you know, and using urgent care, you're doing some research and that's what they need to do. You know, and there, and there are engineering firms, local national engineering firms with reputations that I'm not saying that they're the only ones. There are very fine, smaller firms, but sure. you have to do that research, try to find yeah. the right professionals. Well, uh, well, Judah, that's all I had. Is there anything else you wanted to say about this? Any other words of wisdom? You want no, I, I don't know that I have any words of wisdom. I, I just <laughs> I have you do. I just, I just have experience. So, uh, okay. yeah, well, thank you. It was a pleasure. I enjoyed doing it and uh, look forward to doing it again in the future with you on another topic. That concludes this episode of the Emerging Litigation Podcast. I want to thank Judah Lifshitz of Shapiro, Lifshitz, and Schramm for taking the time to speak with me today. Once again, this is a collaboration between my company, HB Litigation Conferences, and Fastcase, and Law Street Media. This is Tom Hagee. Thank you for listening today.